Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar and Mike Newton is with me, as usual, from BDO Canada. Hi Mike, how are you? Good Dan, how are you? Excellent, thanks. Uh, you are a- at home, you're in quarantine for this episode, so thanks for joining us uh, as you're a bit and under the weather. No problem. Three, three years and 13 days and COVID finally caught me. Well, pretty good, and uh, that is the drawback to being in the office, right? So uh, now, you're, yep. now, you're, now you're hybrid, you're forced hybrid. I am yes. I'm. Uh, I'm not a big uh, supporter of hybrid. Personally, I like being in the office. I like the interactive side of uh, of, of dealing with things. I also feel it's very difficult to uh, to to be in charge and to manage what, from a remote perspective. But hey, I guess I'm just one of the older ones now. So. On the show today, a very interesting product for those who are into marketing, especially advertising. Jean-Maxime Larouche is our entrepreneur. He's the CEO of Hippoc AI. And what they do is they take ads, uh, visual ads, and they use uh, neuroscience and artificial intelligence to optimize them so that people don't waste money on bad advertising. And as someone in marketing uh, or in the PR side of marketing, uh, Mike, there's a certain tension with the web advertising, online advertising, uh, budgets, which are, uh, which have become enormous. I mean, that, that, that accounts for most marketing these days is the web marketing. And as our guest will say, um, some of those posts, some of those graphics don't work and we should work harder to make sure that that creative, uh, isn't wasted. Yeah, it's definitely been a problem. I think for years we keep trying to quantify the uh, the impact of of marketing and, and and branding dollars at the end of the day. And you know, I, I live with accountants, so uh, the first ones to try and justify uh, the whole exercise of uh, of uh, you know ROI or return on investment uh, is not such an easy game. I mean, I know from the AI perspective and everything that we're working, this is going to give us significantly more of it uh, of an of a chance in determining impact but i'm still not sure we're all going to be completely there at the end of the exercise we'll be talking about some interesting ethical questions as well does this mean fewer jobs for creatives what does it mean for entry-level jobs in uh, in design and advertising so these are some pretty interesting questions and our entrepreneur i think uh, also reads a lot of science which i think is refreshing uh, in in this business yeah, it's, it, it, it's pretty fascinating. He kind of came at it, I guess, from a different angle uh, than most entrepreneurs. Uh, he developed something and then tried to find a market for it. So uh, it's it's an interesting perspective. Um, but I do think the whole concept of, of AI and where we're going with this is is a huge can of ethical worms. And, and I think we're going to have to start looking at this in, in society. It's one thing to be pulling information to try and attract and, and, and learn and, and, you know, chat GPT and, and, and make things better. Better, but you know where does where does the creativity stop? Where does the thought process stop? And and where do we just create? You know, unfortunately, are we we're going to create our own robots at some point? And I think we're starting to feel that there's a lot of people in in the ethics discussion in AI right now that are uh, that are addressing this. This story from Benefits Canada I found interesting. Mike, move over, quiet quitting. Enter the employer's response to that phenomenon. I spoke about this a few weeks ago with Ernie, I believe. So this is quiet hiring. When employers shift current employees to new, perhaps more fulfilling or more productive duties instead of uh, hiring outside, especially in times of recession or uh, where there's a labor shortage. So what do you think about quiet hiring? And especially in in an AI age uh, where job descriptions are going to be fluid, quiet hiring may be an alternative to 
finding a whole new person who you might have to retrain. Yeah, I think there's two things that jump out at me in that statement. The first one is there, there is no replacement of loyalty in people that have been with your organization for a long period of time. And if you can, lack of better term, retool somebody and find a different use uh, for their skill set within an organization, I, you know, if somebody's been with you a long time, I think you kind of owe it to them to to try and find that. So there's the, the human or humane aspect to, to this discussion. I can take it to the uh, mercenary side and say, well, in a world of every time I go to market, uh, the individual significantly more expensive than the last one I hired is probably cheaper to keep the same person and retool them and train them than it is to start from scratch. I mean, we hear stories of individuals who left organizations and were making X dollars and by six to eight months later, they're, they're boomeranging back uh, and their salary's gone up by 30 or 40 percent because they're now open on the open market. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been an ongoing debate at a lot of organizations where existing employees um, are ending up being lower than uh, what the market is just because you need an employee. So if you can continue to keep your team scheduled, I mean, look, it, no, no different than taking a, a forward a right winger and turning him into a right defense if you need one. If that person's got heart and soul and, 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 and lives, for the, lives for the team, why would you not try and find a place for them? Okay, moving on, I have a business confession uh, to make, Mike, and I, I learned a lesson early on in business. I, I used that lesson and applied it for several years, and then in the past couple of weeks, I'm like, well, maybe I should just toss out that lesson after all. Um, I made a mistake maybe 10 years ago, and we were late on a project or something, and I said to myself, I'm never again going to put myself in a situation where I don't know how to do every task involved in the business, no matter how high level, low level. I want to know how to do every single little thing. I mean, me, I was watching Undercover Boss at the time. Remember that show, the CBS show? Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. you know, the, guy, the CEOs are at the cash register. They don't know how to work the cash register. That made an impact on me. So I said to myself, I have to learn every little thing. And so I did learn WordPress a little bit. And uh, I was able to maintain the site. And I learned recently that I messed up again for the second time in a couple of years. Uh, it's a plug-in issue, I think, not updating the thing and... You know, uh, why? My question for myself was, why haven't I learned? And and the contact form is, of course, pretty important for for a business. And so, if it's offline for three or four four weeks because I was messing around with them, that's something that I have to be accountable for. So I wanted to mention that uh, because it's it's a silly mistake as a communicator, especially to not be reachable. Um, but it's a silly mistake because I keep making it over and over again. And what they don't teach you in business school, and maybe what they don't, well, we haven't talked about enough on the show is sometimes your personality makes you make the same mistake over and over again. And I, no matter what it is, you know, and, and sometimes I, you know, I, I am slightly manic, slightly perfectionist. And so if, like with AI, and we're going to talk about this later in the show, if you rabbit hole down a certain direction, sometimes you don't realize you're rabbit holing down the wrong direction, and that creates a cascading effect of nonsense, in this case, in the contact form, but sometimes you just have to put the brakes on yourself and just say stop and delegate this task because no, you cannot do everything in your business. And it's silly and arrogant and narcissistic for me to think that I can. So yeah, Dan, you know, I'm listening to you and 30 seconds into it, I'm going, yeah, uh, it's our personalities. Uh, I can empathize, sympathize and everything eyes with what you're saying. Uh, you know, they do call it experience for a reason. And in order to, to learn from experience, you have to experience it. Um, so I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, I think there is nothing wrong with having insight into 
everything that goes on. Having the utter knowledge to do everything is where it falls apart. So I think that from an entrepreneur perspective, if you don't know something or you're not aware of something, then ultimately those are those possibilities of being taken advantage of or something not working. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself. And I think that's where from a good entrepreneurial and a good leader standpoint is you need to know what's going on, but you don't need to be able to know how to fix everything. You know, and as much as I would love to be able to take my hard drive apart and fix it, chances are it's a little more uh, efficient to have uh, one of the guys in IT do it who does this on a regular basis. So I, I hear you. Um, but I do, I do caution that there are certain areas that I think people really should uh, have a way to understand what's going on, and that's anything to do on the financial side. It's one of those areas you probably need to have a little more knowledge than a little less knowledge. Uh, those are those areas where people have a tendency, they don't like to do it. Many entrepreneurs did not get into numbers and did not get into the financial side. Uh, on purpose. It's not what drove them. It's not. It's also what you know holds them back from a risk perspective. Um, but you still need to be able to understand, and you need to be able to challenge the people that are in front of you, whether that's your controller, your CFO, whether it's an external, as to what's going on. And and I think that. I've watched clients over the years that had very little financial acumen or very little interest in it, and in many cases provided an opportunity for people to take advantage of the situation. Indeed. I mean, I, I know how to check up on these systems. I can go in myself. I don't have to learn how to run every single one. I think it was was my lesson this week. And uh, the undercover boss uh, syndrome, I guess, is uh, is silly and it's crazy. It's, 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 it's just seemed to me that I was engaging in crazy behavior, wrestling with a contact form plugin. You know, Dan, I, I hear you. I think we're all guilty of that. I think those of us that have a little bit of a control freakish side to us, uh, the OCD and a few other uh, a few other labels uh, certainly can uh, can empathize and sympathize. I think we need to know when we're hurting ourselves, and we need to know when to cut that you know, cut the cord, if you will, on, on certain things. Um, otherwise, uh, I, I know it's nice to feel like I'm always in control, um, but there's a certain point in time where that has a definite negative learning curve as well as uh, use of time. And unless you have unlimited time, at some point in time, you've got to be able to say, hey, you know, there's there's an opportunity cost to me wasting time on this. Certainly. And I can get very easily caught in a uh, WordPress rabbit hole. So I, I must trust professionals more and uh, yeah, not think I could do everything myself. Just had to get that off my chest. Appreciate that, Mike. I think it's okay, Dan. I think you got to recognize that a lot of us have been down the rabbit hole for, uh, especially in the last three years between COVID and everything else. So we're still trying to claw our way back out of the rabbit hole. So, uh, you know, the only other thing, a piece of advice I could give you is don't feel so bad about it because, uh, you know, you're not the only one uh, digging their way out of the rabbit hole. Appreciate that. I'm looking forward to our conversation this week. It's an entrepreneur who is trying to actually make marketing more efficient with the help of AI and neuroscience. Jean-Maxime, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Hi, how are you? Excellent, how are you? Fine, thank you. So the first question is the easiest. What is Hippoc? Yeah, so Hippoc is a company that helps marketer and designer to optimize all their ad creatives and also other marketing design to make sure that their key advertising element, their key messages are likely to influence their customers brain so that what we are actually doing is using artificial intelligence and neuroscience and also all your advertising campaign data and your history 
of light in your industry, like the, the, the data in your industry to optimize your advertising and your creative in advance before you lose a part of your advertising budget on low performing content. So Mike, it's just like sort of Madison Avenue meets AI and they're optimizing visual ads based on neuroscience. It's a pretty fascinating product. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at this and you know, the ultimate neuroscience and AI powered ad testing and optimization tool is what the, is what the, the website says. So, you know, once once I bring it down to my level and, and, and start to understand it. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's Madison Avenue uh, meets uh, Tech Geek, I guess, to a certain degree. So uh, it's very it, it's very interesting. I mean, Jean-Maxim, I look at this and I say, you know, this is this is not something that, you know, uh, was was thought up on the playground, uh, you know, when you were eight years old. So what drove you here? How did you end up getting to this point? And, and you know, what drove it? Yeah, that's a very good uh, question. Mike. Like, actually, uh, I'm, I was doing my master degree, I was finishing my master degree in uh, cognitive computational neuroscience. And I was seeing some of my friends uh, going to do a, a PhD at Yale or Harvard. And when they finish, they didn't add any job because we are a new field of science, uh, and like you know, like the industry was not developed yet to for all these like PhD and 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 uh, research specialists, research expert. Uh, so I, I told myself like, what if I, I create a company that would use these advancement, these technology advancements that we are developing here, uh, and make it. Uh, available to industry, like help solve people problem. Uh, and this is wh where I started to like, this was a journey of over one year during this beginning of my PhD, where I talk starting from this tech idea of like average human brain simulation, where you can just use artificial intelligence to model average human brain, mimic them and predict what will be the behavior of these populations. Um, so during over a year, I was speaking to leader in different industries. Like we have people in Australia using our software at the beginnings for malware uh, prioritization. Uh, so in cybersecurity and health, uh, we, we had people in uh, user experience uh, using this kind of technology and health as well. But then we're like, oh, how can we raise funds based on this project? And this is where, based on the number of potential customer and the 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 size the sales cycle. Um, um, that is very short. We've realized that there are over 100 million marketers, uh, entrepreneurs that are running ads right now online or in the, like uh, billboards and things like that. So uh, out of home uh, and they are losing over 70% of their ad budget on low performing ads. What does it mean is that at some point, if you're running ads on Facebook, out of your 10 ads you're creating, only two will explain over 90% of all your revenue associated with it. So it's interesting because as an entrepreneur, you know, you're looking to find a need in the market. So you have a product, you've, you, you know, you developed that side of it, but you also as the entrepreneur found yourself a job when the one wasn't existing. So it's an interesting angle to, to come out. Have you seen yourself as an entrepreneur growing up as you were going through school? I mean, listening to some of your, your educational side of it, it's not your typical entrepreneurial road to starting a business. Yeah, but uh, uh, I come from uh, an entrepreneurship family. Like my two parents are entrepreneur in the, in the construction business. Uh, but uh, I learned that this, this is like the, the standard in, in, in my life. I wanted to create a business since I'm very young. And when I was uh, at in high school, I already had like 
a few businesses with my friends and like doing front party and things like that. Uh, so uh, I was, it was clear in my mind that at some point I would have a business. I didn't know yet what. So when I, I like started my study, I was interested in the human brain. I did some philosophy before as well. So I, I wanted to understand how the brain works and how can we put this knowledge of the brain at work to create an industry that is not existing at all. So what's the what was the biggest challenge of of taking this initial concept and and turning it into something that uh, you could you could sell and market and raise funds for? What you know where do you, it's again it's it's not it's not a simple process. So no, it's it it was very very hard actually. We uh, there was multiple the the, the track the tracker. Uh, in the way there as well. And so you need to be a, a very, very persistent, perseverant to go there. And I came from academia. I was like in love with the tech. So when I did my first pitch to investor, to clients, they did not understand at all what I was talking about because I was focused on like this great tech. I was talking about the AI, the model behind, but like what problem is it solving? People are asking me, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's find out. But uh, it, so it took me, in terms of customer pitch before, but also with investor pitch, I would say over 250 investor pitch to get the fund that we have right now. The reason is we came from academia. We didn't have a problem and which we were trying different markets. So we're not starting. So if uh, I had to recommend uh, an entrepreneur that wants to create a startup, don't start from the tech to find a problem to solve. Yes, you can do it if it's a game-changing tech and this is your expertise because it's still worth it. But it's preferable to start from a problem and then find a solution. And this solution will uh, be linked to a technology. So yeah, it's uh, the contrary I did so. Jean-Maxime, you seem like someone who, uh, as a hobby, uh, as I once in a while do, I try to do, is read science on, on occasion. And when you say what, what problem you're trying to solve, and I'm sure people have confronted you with that question, I would argue that there's a lot of junk out there in advertising, uh, I've told clients, and I can say this honestly because we don't do visual advertising, but um, most ads don't work, right? I mean, that's that's a problem. That's wasting people's time, and and it's not necessarily good for our health either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what we saw is like the the reason why ad networks are not giving you any data about how to optimize your creative. Like they have all the data in their history, they have all the computational power if they want to do so, but there is one reason why they are not doing it is because it's their profit margin. When you are losing money on your advertising, they are making money on your advertising. That's that's a pretty stark statement. I mean, uh, you know, a lot, uh, it is a reality that I think most advertising spends in terms of individual ads are are wasted, right? So what have you learned over the years? I mean, there are all, kind of, all kinds of tricks that us marketers know instinctively, like if I'm consulting a client on a newspaper ad, we know, well, maybe you should put that ad on the right side of the page. Um, stuff like that, That's that might be intuitive. But what have you learned based on actual neuroscience in terms of how we could do ads better? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't say like, oh, if you put the ad of the center, it might catch more attention. Yeah, there are some like basic tendency like that. But when we talk to like our AI model is actually mimicking the billions of cognitive biases that are influencing how people will process information. And our goal was actually because these technology are already used by like large companies, uh, but not in using AI. So they are actually doing uh, neuroscience testing, neuromarketing. It's been uh, used since the, the like over 50 years uh, ago uh, and we were we wanted to make 
it available to these small businesses that they, that they don't put a lot of effort in their business, a lot of their budget as well, but they don't have the, the mean to do this optimization that is only available for these large brands. Uh, so realize that we are able with them to optimize their, their advertising and increase their revenue and for them, like an increase in 50% of their revenue because they did some uh, like bad ads in the past, it means a lot for a small company, but it as it means it for the, the, as well the, the large one. Um, but to your return to uh, your question, so what we realized that is very important so is the 65% the, the, the of the ad budget that is lost on low performing ads. This is real for small companies it's real for large companies as well we have uh, a large like large group or mid top mid market as well they are losing so much without even realizing it so that when we are there and they're like oh now this money that was put on these low performing creatives put it back on these because we can predict these one will perform better and now like they see an increase in their revenue of like a minimum of about 14 percent only by applying our tricks so to see like the, the 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 smile of our clients, this is what is probably more powerful for uh, uh, an entrepreneur, like uh, to, more uh, touching. Yeah, maybe redirect some of those marketing resources to, to the PR side, but that's just my bias. Um, <laughs> Jean-Maxime Larouche. Uh, the interesting thing, Mike, and I, I'm going to have him defend this in a second, is this good for marketing? Is it good for designers? Is it good for creators? Or is it AI gone wild? So they uh, inject AI into the designing of ads, and they try to use a neuroscience to optimize those ads so that people waste less money on them. And uh, Mike, we're talking a lot about uh, chat GPT-4 these days and uh, all of these processes becoming more automated. Um, at our agency, we do PR, so we do words. There are definitely uh, elements of automation in what we do these days. I would say, you know, out of eight or so employees, I'm probably saving a, a small part-time salary based on just some of the AIs and software we're using lately. Um, but if it gets carried away, creatives like me get nervous that, well, we're losing the creativity. We can't, we're giving up all of our smarts to the bots. You know, we're not, we're losing the artistry in it. Uh, Jean-Maxime, what's your, what's your defense of the, the artistry and the argument for injecting some, some AI into these uh, highly creative processes? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. Uh, we are not there to replace uh, the creator behind every advertisement, every marketing content. We are there to enhance their work, make them faster, make them more confident about the impact of their work on their company's revenue. Uh, the companies for which you are working with, whether it's an agency, whether it's a, a company. Um, so contrary to what like we could say about ChatGPT, but like you will become an expert, for instance, with ChatGPT to do prompt, but it's based on the creativity of your prompt that you're entering into the software. That will this is what will define how this the, the AI can be creative because the AI is not creative. The AI is reusing things out of the world. You are the one inventing new stuff out of it. So it's, it's an interesting question, Dan and, and uh, Jean-Maxime, because I think this is, the, as um, we start to see this becoming more and more uh, mainstream, uh, there's obviously a lot of questions and a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it moral dilemmas, but, you know, kind of ethical discussions in terms of uh, where where does this go, as well as from a creative perspective. So, you know, I, I, I come at it, you guys are talking the same language. Uh, I'm coming at it from a different perspective. So, you know, as... As a business owner, and, and 
part of the understanding is how far to use um, you know the the AI and what I'm what I'm doing on a daily basis. So if I look at this and, and John Maxim, I look at what you're talking about. If you're to walk into you know my office and try and sell me on why I should be using what you have, the product that you have, the the energy and the time that you've put in to develop all of this, you know. Bring it down to my level. Bring it down to I don't want to say dumb it down, but bring it down to my level and 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 a lot of people so that we understand where the benefit lies. Because yes, if you know you mentioned earlier, I'm going to save ad money or I'm going to make it at least more usable and it's going to be more definable. And what does that look like to the average user on the other end? Yeah, thank you, uh, Mike. So first thing first, like John Wanamaker was a marketer for Henry Ford about 100 years ago. He said that half of the money he's spending on marketing is lost. The problem is that he didn't know which half. And this is still true today. But we could ask a question, why is it still true? We have all the data in the world. We have all the computational power in the world. But we're not doing it. The reason is, is that whether the ad network, whether you are uh, doing a billboard, they will, they will, they will like sell you exposition to an audience or the ad network will sell you impression. They will not sell you revenue. They will sell you a number of people seeing your ad. And then what they want to give you zero data about how your creative should be or would be effective in this channel, whether it's outside, whether it's digital, you have no data. So you need by yourself to do some testing, the do optimization, compare variation A, compare variation B. And if you're a small business, you don't have even the time to do that. So you just do with variation A, which might be very bad for your business and your revenue in terms of return on ad spend. But what if we were able to predict the ad performance of the creative in advance based on what the audience might look at in your creative, what they will remember about your creative, but also based on all your historical marketing data or based on the industry data as well. Now we'll be able to eliminate the bad and low performing creatives in advance so that now you can save more money and take your budget. And instead of doing $1,000 revenue on this ad budget, you now make $150,000 for the same ad budget. The process is pretty simple. We connect to your data. We let our AI learn out of your data and also learn with industries that are from many clients. And then we predict based on both your creative and the context of this creative, what will be your marketing performance so that we can also predict the impact on your revenue and make sure that from day one, when you 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 spend you 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 spend money on your ads that they are highly performing and you get maximum return on investment. One thing that I've, I'm sure you've considered, as I have on on the writing side, John Maxim, is you know what is engagement? What is a like worth? And you know when when we're told so and so ad campaigns on social media get so and so numbers of engagement or whatever the metrics are. What does that mean? And is there retention taking place? Is there learning taking place? Is that the next level of advertising is really uh, retention over the long term? Yeah, this is what we try to focus at 
uh, to focus on with Epoch is actually be able not only to say like what is the short-term performance in terms of click-through rates, people clicking on your ads, people converting on your ads, but we go even further. And this is where the neuroscience behind uh, is at work, is where we're able to predict what people will remember and look at. The idea here is that brand awareness, engagement is all about creating stunning and unforgettable content. And this is what we are help our creator to do. So it's interesting. I think from the layman's terms, you think of advertising as increasing revenue, right? I mean, that's the goal ultimately of, of advertising and marketing. But listening to you, I guess listening to both of you talk, it, it's really about increasing impact, which ultimately leads to a different behavior or a, a, a new uh, a new way of looking at things. Is that predominantly what we're talking about here? This is an impact-driven uh, process, more certainly more so than the past, because you're using past information in order to predict, predict what the impact is going to be. Yeah, very interesting, because uh, on our actual, like we have uh, two software, one that helps you predict what will be the brand awareness, what people will look at, what people remember, so they can make sure that we have great impact. And we call this, uh, this software is actually called the, uh, like the impact score, because we are predicting what will be the design and advertising impact in your audience brain. And then we have this other uh, software that is now only available for the larger brands for now, but we are uh, uh, opening it for uh, uh, a larger uh, crowd very soon, uh, is predicting the revenue directly on of your ads or ad creative. But both are very important. And what we saw is that uh, there is sometimes a, a very important correlation between, oh, this ads created a lot of engagement, a lot of awareness, but it's also impacted the revenue very significantly. It's interesting. I listened to those two statements and you see, you know, you've got one software that's that's measuring impact and the other one is measuring revenue. So I can hear all the accountants out there getting really excited over measuring uh, the numbers and measuring revenue. But that whole measuring impact, I mean, it's one of those kind of elusive things that we've been trying to get our hands on for years, right? Is NPOs and charities are trying to understand what is their impact within the community and how do they measure that? Is that based on number of users? Is that based on experience? Is that based on, you know, I, I don't know. Is this something that we're going to start to see now, this impact call it the impact scale, if you will, going forward now because of AI so that we can have a much bigger understanding of how we're impacting our communities. Yeah, uh, we think so. And this is why we created this impact score that is now based on like, are you, because attention right now is a limited resource. So if we are bombarded by thousands and thousands of ads every day and every company is competing for their customers' attention. So the impact of being able to not only catch their attention, but if I present you, and this, we have a, a great example, if I present you, I, I, now I have your attention. I present you a block of text or I present you a picture of a, a corgi. Depending on what is the information that you are showing your customers when you, you, you finally catch their attention, if it's, their cognitive load is too high, then they will not remember anything about it. So you just lost attentional resource on bad content. And by being able to make sure that this content is not only stunning, not catching attention, but also remembered very well. So all the key information about your added value, your logo, your uh, your key advertisement, your, or your key uh, ad elements, 
are looked at and remembered. Now this is how you can get maximum impact. And a little bit of extra chatting now with our guest, Jean-Maxime Larouche of Hippoc AI for the podcast. And Jean-Maxime, again, back to chat GPT-4 and some fears with AI, certainly fears about uh, um, giving it control, uh, serious control of a lot of our, our operations. One thing that's happening is it gets things wrong, of course, and when it gets things wrong, it's very sort of insistent. It goes down that road very aggressively. What internal processes do you have to make sure that you're catching uh, AI mistakes and making sure it doesn't rabbit hole down down the wrong direction. Yeah, one thing that uh, we came with is uh, uh, when we do prediction about things that are more important and where we need to be very precise because that might be a very direct impact on the business afterward. Is like when we predict revenue associated with your ad creatives. If I tell you that this will make a lot of money and then you you increase your ad budget because of that reason and now you lose all your money. Obviously, we are responsible behind. So the, the point is like, based on that, we're, uh, we, came in, we came with a, a confidence interval. So it's not just predicting this will happen. So imagine that if ChatGPT could tell you, based on his answer, his confidence about X percent, because right now it's just telling lie all the time. So we're just sometimes, it's, and I was, uh, um, we're using it for some uh, uh, things that are use, inventing reference that are not existing. The author is not existing. The title is not existing nowhere. It's just inventing it. And it doesn't tell you that it is. So I think there is a challenge here, but the, 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 the solution we came with is confidence interval. All are we confident that this prediction is true or not? It's a good answer, Mike. I was gonna say, it's a good answer. And AI ethics uh, are, are something that should be considered by every organization and when to put on the brakes, when to have those safety measures in place. 100%. I think, you know, and that again continues to to look as look down the road as as, as this continues to, to to hit the market in a more practical sense on an ongoing basis is how are we going to use chat GPT? How are we going to use the AI? Where does the line where does the line end? And, and you know, where do we need to maintain that humanity? I mean, obviously, even within industries, we've had this conversation, you know, at what point do you do you still need that human interaction to make sure that there's a moral uh, a moral side to this. And I guess the point where um, we can hit all of this information uh, uh, through AI and they can make the moral decisions that maybe we're not needed as humans much longer. But until then, I think we're still probably, we still probably have a use. Uh, you know, it's a question I have, Jean-Maxime, is have you gone outside of the business world yet for uses? I mean, I can see this as a very popular tool for, say, fundraising campaigns uh, for charities in order to, you know, one of the biggest issues with fundraising campaigns is the wasted time of trying to circle the wagon and, and hit the right people and make the biggest impact. Um, and again, I, I, I kind of bring it back down to this whole moral side of things. I mean, part of the fundraising campaigns for nonprofits, you want to make sure you're staying within your moral element of what you're doing. And, and sometimes that's the fine line. One thing, that, and I thought about this when I started this company, I, I thought to myself, so every environment company, every organization uh, that is uh, for nonprofit, but to help the society, they need to get, like right now, they have very, very low advertising budget. And they try to like get out with it and do some impact, as we were saying earlier. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, like these company, and I, I also offer it uh, as an email to uh, WWF at some point, it's like, it's all free for you. So you just need to send me an email because we want to help you increase your impact. We know what you do is important. And for us, giving like a, a 
like getting these server costs for your uh, your usage of our software and like paying for it, we're happy to do it because I think it's a it's a small contribution compared to what they are doing out there. Uh, and this is how I'm seeing it because I can say it as a CEO, but obviously uh, I think that more AI companies should, if they are creating very powerful tool that are creating a competitive advantage that is insane for companies, go help these companies out there because they are the one that will impact society and they are the one that right now are struggling with it. Jean-Maxime Larouche, uh, five, 10 years from now, where are, where are you? Where's the product? Yeah, so... So obviously we want to uh, push this uh, as far as we can. Um, right now we just did, uh, we just closed our seed round. So the next round will be uh, a series A. Maybe uh, we'll do it with uh, dilutive or non-dilutive. Uh, but uh, the plan now is to do it with uh, uh, non-dilutive money um, because the, the goal from the start, and this is also the, 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 the way of thinking of one of our investors, which is the family fund of Serge Godoy, is to be able to create profitable business as soon as we can and it's a bit out of the you know traditional venture capitalist view of creating a business uh, but we saw that uh, with the 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 svb like uh, going bankrupt that it might be a good idea to do so and uh mike with the dogs barking that means we're all out of time thanks very much and we'll have the one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a couple minutes from jean-maxime larouche uh, CEO of Hippoch AI. But first, let's bring in our expert. Uh, Juliana Papandrea is a manager of business services outsourcing at BDO Canada with some important considerations for tax season. Welcome back, Juliana. Hi, Dan. It's great to be back. And Mike, it's that time of year. Uh, yes. You know, it seems like we just said it was that time of year uh, not that long ago. Uh, maybe I'm getting older. Every year seems to go quicker, but we seem to be sitting in this position very often. Um yeah, it's uh, you know it's 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 it is that time of year. I mean, obviously, there's uh, everybody's heard a couple of the buzzes in the uh, in the, on the radio and the news lately in terms of our CR agents going to go on strike before. Uh, so we're going to go through this, Juliana, and assume that they aren't going to go on strike and disrupt our lives. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's let's go forward. I mean, at the age-old question, I guess you know, for a lot of people, is do you do your taxes to yourself? Do you hire a professional? Where's that cutoff line? You know, many people have asked me. There's no doubt that you know you can't go to any event, any cocktail event or family event where somebody says, "Can you do my taxes for me?" Um, and you gotta you, you gotta draw a line somewhere. Where, where's that line? Exactly. So you know what I what I like to discuss with people is they have to evaluate the complexity of their personal tax return. I mean, if it's something very, very simple, uh, there are a lot of softwares out there that allow you to, you know, enter the data. You just answer some questions, the necessary schedules come up, and uh, you can go ahead and, you know, answer those simple questions and you're done. But we always recommend you see a professional because, you know, once your your return becomes a little more complex, it's not that easy. And it's always best to see a tax professional who can help you with tax planning, you know, RRSP contributions and and, and so forth. And like I said, you know, it, it's really about the complexity. So it's always best. We always recommend that, uh, you know, it be done by a professional. So... It's that time of year. There's some important deadlines coming up. Name them for us. Give us a little bit of an outline of those. And uh, like I said, so long as CRA doesn't change a filing deadline on us in the next little while, uh, what, do, uh, what, what are you looking at? What, do you, what, what, what are your nightmare scenarios? So the, the worst scenario would be that 
CRA would go on strike. And one good thing would be that we'd get an extension. But again, the extension would probably spill into our other deadlines of, you know, June 30th. And that would become very problematic for us. So we'd rather just get everything done by May 1st as scheduled. Rip the band, rip the bandaid off quickly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so as we mentioned, you know, we're knee deep in tax season and um, the filing deadline is May 1st for most taxpayers and filing for tax returns for self-employed workers is June 15th. However, you know, any balances that they have that are due have to be payable by May 1st. So we just try to get everything done by May 1st, simpler that way. So well, we're getting everything together for your for taxes for April thirtieth. Uh, I mean, we're uh, not that far away at this point, and I know that it seems like, based on filing deadlines of T threes for trusts and everything else, the tax season that used to be two months is now kind of compressed into about four weeks. Um, what can you do from from a, uh, an individual's perspective to prepare your documents? for your accountant to try and minimize all of this? And and is there any of this information that's available online from uh, CRA or MRQ that uh, that we can get access to? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, most of the time, um, you know, when someone is preparing a return, the first thing they want to do is, is have the necessary authorizations and be able to do a download and connect so that all the necessary slips are already imported into the tax return. However, you know, there are, there are like, as you mentioned, T3s that are only issued uh, after March 15th. So that causes a little, of, a little bit of a problem, but we always recommend clients try to give us everything they have so we can get started and then just have those few points left to finalize the return uh, at the end. So, um, you know, there there are ways to try to work around it, but um, again, there are receipts that we don't see. So if anyone buys or sells a property, we don't see that. So that's information that we need from, you know, that, that accountants need from their clients. Uh, property income and expenses, foreign income, medical receipts, donations, Things like that are, those are details that we won't see through uh, Download and Connect. So that's really important that the clients provide us with those. Yeah, I think it's important that the clients recognize it's the things that we can't know or don't have access to are some of the most important things they need to tell us. So if they've sold a residence, if they've sold a property, if they've sold uh, an investment somewhere that doesn't find its way to a broker statement, all of these things are, are information. It's, you know, the old expression, it's hard to know what you don't know. Exactly. And most importantly, you know, any uh, any investments overseas over one hundred thousand dollars that has to be disclosed. So uh, the penalties are, are very hefty for that as well. So that's uh, something to take into consideration. Juliana Papandrea, Manager, Business Service Outsourcing at BDO Canada. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. Hey, Mike, we made it to the end of the show. You feeling OK? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm hanging in there. And as we come to the end of our broadcast, let's turn it to our entrepreneur Jean-Maxime Larouche of Hippaka AI and ask him for his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs, Jean-Maxime. So I have two if you don't mind. So the first one is actually perseverance because uh, you will have a lot of people telling you it's not possible, telling you you will not succeed. But you need to go over all of these and be focused on this objective up there and strive for it with all your might one advice but the second advice is that even if you are very focused on this objective 
you, you don't you should not care that much about how you will go there because the plan will change many 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 times while you're striving for uh, to uh, to achieve it uh, and this pivot so perseverance first and then is pivot be able to adapt to any kind of situation knowing that what will make you succeed is how are you able to prove that your solution what you're doing can impact companies revenue this is the only way you can succeed based on what i learned in the past years very good jean-maxime larouche hipoc ai thanks so much for joining us today thank you very much a reminder you can subscribe to inspiring entrepreneurs montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, apple or your favorite platform and log on to the website inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles See you back here next week. This has been a production of TNKR Media.